0: Welcome to the Profitable Farmer podcast, where it's all about increasing the profitability of your farm by working smarter, not harder. Welcome once again to Profitable Farmer. This is Jeremy Hutchings. It's great to have you listening in from wherever you are around Australia. Um, Firstly, a shout out to Peter and Renee Burke from Mayfield Gerildery. It was wonderful to be with you yesterday um, and over 100 rice farmers from your region. Um, one, celebrating your accolade of um, Rice Grower of the Year. And secondly, just a, a shout out to you for how open you were in, I guess, your contribution to that day and your willingness to share some of the secrets that have underpinned, underpinned your family and your businesses significant. Um, development over 20 years and your successes in the last two years particularly which have been two of the toughest years that I think the industry and rice growers have faced and for you guys to navigate you know record profits and the results that you have achieved is a real credit to you both so thanks for having me involved in that and, and again Peter and Renee congratulations. Now um, the last webinar last podcast that I did um, has received great feedback, and that was with my brother talking about learning from the top end of town and understanding some of the secrets to strategy and growth of some of the biggest food and fiber businesses in Australia. Um, with that feedback and uh, in the spirit of keeping it locally, I thought i'd um, have this conversation focusing in an interview with my father. Now, Tim Hutchings um, is well known to many in the Riverina. He has been a highly successful farmer, a Nuffield scholar, um, a leading farm consultant to the region for probably over 30 years um, and a very capable and effective individual when it comes to farm advice, farm strategy And since leaving agriculture, he has completed his PhD, analysing and uncovering some of the secrets to navigating risk and driving out flexibility or volatility, I should say, in farming systems and looking at ways perhaps we can actually create consistent long-term profit and wealth from farming systems rather than... Um, being exposed to the vagaries of the seasons and the vagaries of the markets, and so it's with that in mind that i'm really excited to take some time in this webinar i'm oh, sorry in this podcast to to speaking at length with my father so Tim thank you for joining us How oh, are you
1: thank you I'm honored to uh, be in such good company
0: <laughs> it's great to um to have the opportunity to to share i guess your background and um, Some of your insights, I guess, having been in farming for so long, having consulted to so many farmers for so long, um, and to have since done so much research and analysis through your PhD into risk and volatility and how to drive that out of farming systems. And so perhaps before we get into the detail, Tim, um, 12 years ago, made the decision to retire from Dalry and, and move away from farm production. Um what are some of your fondest memories of, of farming at Yerong Creek and, and on Dalroy? Uh,
1: I, I really uh I, it's most, the most rewarding uh occupation I think you can have, as you all know. Uh, I particularly enjoyed breeding sheep. Um, sorry, what yeah, breeding sheep because uh we actually achieved an amazing amount. we more than double the profitability of sheep over about 15 years of breeding so that you could see the difference across the age groups when you analysed that the maidens outperformed the old users and I think that's extraordinary.
0: Yep, and, um, you know, the, the dual-purpose centre plus Merino is now coming up as, as being a highly profitable enterprise in and of its own right and um, I know that was true for us back in the day. Um, so Tim, just to launch into this, what I'd like to discover today, um, explore today, is risk and agriculture, and and how we can stabilize the revenue and the profits coming from our farming systems. Would you mind just giving us a bit of background, specifically into your PhD, um, what you researched there, um, and probably first how you went about it, and then later on we'll get into the results. So what were some of the key, what was, what was the, the, the intent and the purpose for your PhD?
1: It began because as a consultant, um, my budgets were no more reliable uh, for other farmers than they were for my, myself because there's so much variability, and I really wanted to get a handle on that. Uh, it's something that I've been playing with for uh, many years before I actually did the PhD. But uh, I was able to develop a system where we I could actually quantify uh, the variability and the effect of the variability on farm incomes. Yes, uh, it's,
0: would it be fair to say, Tim, that that's never been done before? No one has ever necessarily been able to quantify the financial risk of seasonality and variability within and between seasons in agriculture is that a fair statement
1: it is in agriculture i mean, part of the reason that i uh, i was prompted to do this is uh, my two other two sons uh are both work both in banking and finance and they could discuss the variability of and the risk involved with uh interest rates etc., down to decimal points and i thought agriculture is far riskier than finance, uh, why can't we do that?
0: Mm. And bringing some of that volatility and variability um, assessment tools, Monte Carlo and others, out of the finance sector and applying them to agriculture is really pioneering and, and we'll get into the detail of that. So, Tim, what do you? how do you reflect, and I know there are a lot of outcomes to come from your research, but could you give us The snapshot of your findings, um, perhaps in a couple of key points.
1: I think that the main finding, um, which is common sense when you look on it, look at it backwards, but you don't realise when you're in the uh, actual industry itself, is that debt accumulates at three times, or three times as fast as uh, profit. So that, uh, or that's because interest rates uh, are on debt are three times as high as uh, interest rates on credit. And also the top has taken off your income by tax so that you've got this bias in agriculture um, which we have to overcome. Um, and that is quite difficult.
0: So what does that mean in layman's terms? Just help me understand exactly. I I get that that's a really key point, but what does it mean practically?
1: Practically, it means that uh, to continue growing your wealth and growing your uh, income, you have to actually be able to recover from one drought before the next one hits. And if because cost of the debt, the debt that follows uh, a drought, um uh, grows faster than the profits that follow a drought, you actually have to make quite a rapid recovery.
0: okay, so is that saying to Tim that um, losses year on year have a bigger impact to the negative in farming systems typically than profits year on year have on the same farming systems?
1: Yes. Okay. I, think, I think, well, that's, that's from two reasons. One, there's this uh, uh, bias in the growth, but also you know that uh, if you don't get an income in any one year, such as many people are experiencing this year, uh, then the loss is greater than the profit you potentially could have made.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a really interesting point. And it, it does, when we look at it at that really high level, looking down, um, makes sense because the ongoing interest cost on the accumulated debt kind of compounds to the negative, whereas potentially you don't get the compound effect to the positive when you have two or three years of profits. Is that fair?
1: That's that's exactly what I was saying. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yep. So it's a really interesting point, um, I think, for us all to consider is that losses year on year can have a greater impact to the negative than profits year on year have. And I know one of my farm mentors from northwest of New South Wales has always maintained, and speaking to him recently, he he mentioned this again, that if you can break even and get by in a drought year, or a potential loss year, if you can break even in the loss years, then you have a farming system that can stand the test of time. Um, So for me, what that says is that farming is actually perhaps more about minimising losses and setting up our farming systems in order to achieve that than they are about making maximum profit in good years. Is that a fair comment, Tim?
1: I think that's probably the same for any business. But particularly uh, because uh, our variability in uh, agriculture uh, in Australia is so high, it's more emphasised.
0: Yep, yep. So a lot of our focus, and I think perhaps with a push towards intensive agriculture and a move towards high-input cropping um, and lots of bright and shiny gear with good technology self-steer, um etc that there's a push towards um, maximizing yield and perhaps revenue per hectare or per acre um is that is that a bit i guess that push that that often agronomically we have towards maximizing yield and maximizing revenue per hectare could that actually be um Sending us, if our focus is on that in a direction that is setting ourselves up to make bigger losses in the average and below average years, um, is that dangerous, do you think, going after maximum yield per se? Uh,
1: it would, wouldn't would be if, uh, this is in a negative, but it wouldn't be if uh, we had a less variable climate. If you have irrigation and reliable water, yep. then you your risks are much lower and you can afford to uh, go for the doctor but uh-huh. if you uh, have a variable climate with such as we have uh, then uh, you have to be a lot more careful you have constant you have to concentrate on maximum flexibility uh, and reducing your costs much more than maximizing your income that's not to say that you shouldn't try yeah but just. Adding what you know may be excess inputs in the hope of that extra margin is not a wise policy.
0: Okay, and that's key. I think flexibility is the thing that I want to speak about today. Um, A lot of farming systems that we see um, perhaps are set up such that there's a cost base um, and a focus that limits flexibility and adaptability to this, the prevailing season. So, Tim, what are what are some of the things we can do to bring greater levels of flexibility to our farming systems?
1: Well, you can do what uh, other businesses do, and the banks uh, are one good example, uh, but Woolies and uh, Bunnings are the same. They don't own their own real estate which is a fixed cost to them. They make it a variable cost by leasing it so that it's uh, a smaller total cost with less risk. Um, another example is uh, transport firms that don't own their own trucks or, and, or their aeroplanes. Qantas doesn't own any of its aeroplanes.
0: Yeah. So um, if we if we look at this in three levels, you've, you've sort of started talking about our capital allocation. Mm-hmm. Um, so perhaps, so if we think about plant and machinery, um, one way to um, adjust our cost structures such that um, in the the poorer years we don't incur. I mean, if, if I own all my plant, my cost base is consistent and static year on year. So I guess what we're talking about is how to make our cost structures more agile and more flexible. And so one way to do that is to contract sow, contract harvest, contract spray um, compared to owning your own plant. I think that's what you're suggesting here.
1: Yeah, I think that, well, that's one move. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, in a normal year on my farm, and this is a few years ago, uh, it used to cost me somewhere between forty and $50,000 uh, to pay a contract harvester to take the crop off. But in a drought year, and this is an actual example, it cost me $2,400. Yeah. So that your, uh, your high fixed cost, which will stay at Roundabout for me, Fifty thousand a year in depreciation and uh, uh, machinery replacement, um, are variable and they're yep. related to yield. Yeah, so that makes, by definition, makes it much more flexible.
0: Yeah, so um, absolutely. So that that does it's 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 worth investigating. So one of the levers or one of the tactics we could employ is to analyze contract harvesting versus owning our own header, um, equally contract spraying rather than um, in, engaging and owning all our own sowing gear, and even contract sowing um, rather than owning our own sowing gear. So that if in a, um, a below-average season you choose not to sow as many hectares or acres, um, or you need to not apply as much fertilizer, or, or put in that second or that third spray, that you are literally not incurring the costs of plant at all in those years. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, that's that's fair. And um, most people, farmers, don't like the what they see as the ex- extra risk uh, and expense of having a contractor in. Mm. Then they don't uh, watch them as uh, the uh, value. Peeling off their are uh, their machinery, and the interest costs associated with that, while they're not using it.
0: Yeah, so we have that that double effect, if you like, of of depreciating assets at the same time as us paying finance on the on that plant. So that's um a way of looking at making our capital base and our plant perhaps more flexible with the season. Um, what other things can we do to um, impact other line items in our cost structures to to bring more flexibility to our costs?
1: Well, it's called just-in-time. and um, That applies to contracting uh, and any other business. So that we have to try and delay um, our inputs uh, for as long as possible agronomically and i had a farmer here uh one of my clients one of my better clients uh, with whom i developed a system where he would sow his canola or his wheat uh in the autumn on the first rain and not put anything on it not even fertilizer. Uh, when uh, we were relatively sure of having adequate moisture at the in july we could decide then whether to turn that crop into hay if there wasn't any moisture, or graze it if there was even less, or if there was adequate moisture, grow a good grain crop. Now the figures, the agronomists will tell you that you lose yield by delaying the fertilizer. We found that if the the soil nutrient level is fairly high, um, the loss of yield wasn't detectable. But the flexibility you got from that was terrific.
0: Yeah, especially I would imagine Tim in a mixed farming system, where you've got that added option of sacrificing some of your cropping area for the benefit of your livestock enterprise. Um, is that a fair comment as well?
1: Yeah, and in actual fact, uh, all the latest research uh, says that the uh, there's very little loss. Uh, of yield to grazing crops, uh, particularly canola, if it's sown early uh, and it's not grazed for too long. I think mm. that that uh, uh, data is pretty uh, convincing now. Yeah,
0: yep. So, Tim, what, what's your comment then about ways to stabilise income? So driving the variability out of... Our income profile. Um, we see a lot of people moving towards continuous cropping, perhaps in the lower rainfall areas. Um, but even um, in the higher rainfall areas, people being very focused on on perhaps one enterprise, um, even taking out fences and those sorts of things. What's your comment on the importance of diversity of enterprise um, and things like that? In what, what, what tactics can we can we call on in order to stabilise? revenue
1: it's important to access as many markets as possible it's not necessarily product so that uh, sheep for instance have more uh, access more markets than cattle cattle have only got meat sheep have wool and meat and the store market as well uh so that uh just sheep tend to be more uh adaptable and variable be- uh, and less variable because of that one particular thing mm. uh, but the the, um, the other thing that works against uh, cropping in particular is that in a, a normal economy uh, price and um, yield work in opposite directions so they tend to self-cancel so that if you're not producing much you get high prices and vice versa in australia the price is set in America, so you've all probably experienced the fact that you can have high prices uh, and high production and low prices and low production in the same year, and that adds to the risk. We don't have this self-compensating uh, uh, relationship between yield and price.
0: And it's your assessment that that does exist in livestock enterprises?
1: No, not more in cropping enterprises.
0: Yeah, we the, control
1: the, the, the world in lamb and, and yeah,
0: owens. yeah. So the opposite of that is true then in livestock enterprises. So more favourable from that perspective. Yep. Yeah.
1: And uh, I mean, at the moment in the livestock enterprises, the demand seems to be going up while the product of the supply is going down following these droughts. So the outlook for the next few years should be very good.
0: Yeah. Yep. One thing I'm experiencing with the farmers that I am connecting with is, and especially now that prices for woolen sheep and beef are as strong as they are, that there seems to be either a conscious or subconscious shift to livestock being becoming the primary enterprise and cropping now becoming a bit of a secondary enterprise that can be called on or sacrificed at least a little bit in those average or lower performing years to support the livestock enterprises. Um, Whereas I reckon 10 years ago, Tim, it was the opposite, where we were sort of making cropping the primary and keeping it isolated and separate from the livestock enterprise. Um, Do you have a comment on that? Is that a fair observation, do you think?
1: Yeah, that's certainly the trend, but it's been the trend for a long time. And one of the reasons is, um, the riskiness of the two. With livestock, um, you can stabilize your income. Wool income tends not to vary very much between years. And you can feed your livestock, um, to keep, to keep them, their value up so that you can have the opportunity in drought. To maintain your income much more even, or keep it more even with livestock than you uh, do with cropping.
0: Mm. So, coming back to your PhD, um, and I know you looked at a whole lot of different locations. Could you just name a couple of those locations? And you know, your your analysis allowed you, as I understand, to kind of backwards analyze the probability of profit or loss in a certain region, given, given all conditions, and tell you what the perhaps the best enterprise combination was in those regions, um, could you just speak to that and maybe give us a couple of practical examples, for example, Holbrook, Tamora, somewhere else, um, just to give us a bit of insight to that piece of your analysis.
1: Okay, uh, let's- give you some idea of what I uh, how I did the analysis first it's called Monte Carlo what it does is get a budget and run it or preferably a multi-year budget uh, and I did a 10-year budget uh, which reacted automatically reacted to the uh, uh, yields and prices that I put into it and the yields to get the yields I used the last 50 years of rainfall converted that into yields you can do it just using rainfall or you can uh, use something like absent to do it and the same with uh, the livestock so that i was able to prepare series of uh, 10 years of uh, yields based on actual variability and then i looked at um the effect of all different combinations of prices multiplied by those all different combinations of 10-year series in those 50 years. So I got a probability curve.
0: Yeah. So so just just to explain that, um, the model that Tim created called on hundreds of years of commodity price data. and tens and longer years of rainfall data and ran every possible simulation of all of those combinations. So something like 80,000 scenarios through the um, model for a farm in a certain area to then predict the probability of profitability for that enterprise mix. And then we could change the enterprise mix and hit the button and have it run that Monte Carlo simulation again. Which is another 80,000 potential simulations um, to look at which one had a higher risk profile. So, what were some of the results, Tim?
1: Uh, the results were, as you'd expect, the higher risk um, or the most variable income came from the uh, areas with the most variable rainfall because rainfall drives pasture and it also drives crop production. Uh, and it showed that. Uh, the closer you could get to the coast, the more stable your income was, which is no news. Is it really no news? What we, I did was to actually measure the effect of those things and find out what the most likely um, outcome was. And also, the most important thing, what was the probability of loss? Which is the one single most important outcome.
0: So, can you give me an example of that in a, a specific farm or a specific
1: location? Yeah, I can tell you that uh, for this area in the Riverina, there is, uh, or has been, and historically doing using this method, close to a uh, forty to fifty percent risk of loss. So that the we're running on a very fine line. Uh, using our current system,
0: Is that true across all of the Riverina? There's a fair bit of diversity across the Riverina. Do you mean... Well,
1: should I say the southwest slopes, around the Wagga region.
0: So the Wagga region has um, a, on, yeah, a 40% likelihood of loss. Yes. And so, again, the tactics that we've spoken about to this point um, are ways in which to minimise that. Are there other tactics that you have looked into that help farmers in the southwest slopes reduce that percentage?
1: Yeah, there are a couple of standout examples. Um, One I borrowed from New Zealand and one from one of my own or a couple of my own clients here. If you've got uh, to be properly diversified, you have to have a source of uh, income or profit that, is not related to your uh, farm income, and preferably moves in the opposite direction. So that you have a uh, the perfect example of that is a pig farm uh, or pig operation on a grain farm, because what gra- drives pig prices is the cost of grain. If the cost of grain is high, then the pig prices tend to be uh, low. Mm and vice versa, put them both together and you get a very stable income.
0: So, Tim, to your point, if 100% of our wealth creation strategy or um, profit intent is focused on purely a, a mixed farm or a farm with one enterprise, we're completely exposed to the vagaries of the industry, what I understand you're saying is to find a business that can complement that um, or even off-farm income that complements that um, perhaps is more important than we're giving it credit for um, or have been giving it credit for to this point.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of farmers at the moment are buying extra area to gain economies of scale, uh, to help stabilise their income. I believe that that is wrong, that it would be much wiser to either or to buy a different type of farm or a different type, buy into a different type of uh, business or investment. And, I mean, you, there are all sorts of investments that don't require you to manage them or only manage them slightly that will fill the gap left by uh, some of the variability.
0: Yeah. So at some point in your stage of life as you progress in farming, diversification of your balance sheet off-farm becomes incredibly important. But even in the lead-up to that, finding a revenue stream that um, is outside and different from Farming is critically
1: important. I think so. There was a, a very, well, the leading uh, farm accountant in, uh, New, uh, in New Zealand used to come and speak to farm groups in Australia, and his mantra was that you had to earn enough off-farm to cover the shortfall of two droughts.
0: To cover the shortfall of two droughts. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. So that um, if my gross profit or my gross my loss is a hundred thousand dollars year on year for two years, that are you saying that in any given year I need to try and find two hundred thousand dollars in off farm income,
1: or accumulate
0: it? Q- okay, thank you. Yeah, right. It's a really interesting way to think about it. I've always had the view personally that if I can feed my family and educate my kids off farm then my farm has a really significant chance of strong profitability. Um, I wonder if as farm business owners, we are giving enough energy and attention to the importance of complementing the farm with alternative revenue streams um, as perhaps we should be to this point. What's your comment? I mean, a lot of the focus does seem to be on driving production, driving performance driving efficiency in our farming systems do you think there's been a lot of focus on the importance of complementing the farm with another source of revenue
1: yes you're i think what we've been doing is aiming for productivity and back in the 50s and 60s productivity was increasing so fast it was the best uh place to put your money but now we haven't really increased our water use efficiency in cropping for the last 15 years, uh, and our inflation's still going up. It's much wiser, I think, to, in terms of wealth creation, to invest in another business that is going to reduce the variability of your income. Mm. And I'll be really radical, and it's something that you can probably understand, having the, with the training you've had in the academy is that if you're in debt and you sell assets, such as if you sell some of your farm and get rid of the debt, your balance sheet doesn't change. You have just reduced uh, something that cost you a fair bit of money uh, and replaced it, hopefully, with another asset that earns you that much or more. Uh, And your wealth hasn't changed, but your chance of growing your wealth uh, might have increased significantly. So it's a yep. matter.
0: Yep. So for some farming families, the option to consolidate and reallocate a portion of your balance sheet to off-farm investment might be a good strategy.
1: Yes, uh, but not necessarily sell the family farm or part of it. But instead of going and buying, and. It, uh, the, the farm next door really have a good look at investing that same amount of money if you want to spend it uh, in another complementary enterprise or just straight in a a, a different investment which mm. is less variable
0: yeah yeah and and perhaps even more simply than that it's about honouring and respecting the importance of a teaching salary or a nursing salary or a part-time salary achieved either by the husband or the wife off-farm, um, it actually plays a really significant role, doesn't it, in stabilising income over a 10-year period?
1: And yes, and the funny thing is it mightn't seem like much that uh, if uh, either of uh, the couple go out and earn $30,000 or forty thousand dollars, or eighty thousand dollars a year off farm, which is for nurses and uh, teachers in particular, is not hard to do. But it's the margin. If you uh, your profit may only be, uh, you know, your loss may only be forty thousand. You can compensate and stop that accumulate that debt accumulating by just putting a relatively small amount of money in. Which is what uh, Peter Alexander from New Zealand was talking about. You are only working at the margins. You are not working on uh, the whole income or the whole costs.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, Tim. Thank you. So, what other have you had any other insights to share? We've talked a bit about looking to make cost profiles more flexible. Um, ways to stabilise revenue, ways to um, challenge ourselves to look at making our investment in plant and the costs of having plant more flexible in nature um, and then the importance of off-farm investments and off-farm income, again, as a way of stabilising revenue. Um, what other, Have you had any other final insights on tactics that our listeners can employ or at least do the deep thinking on um, as to how to stabilize their farming system performance especially in these drier and tougher periods.
1: Yeah, I think the the main one there uh, and this uh, needs a lot you will have to give it a fair bit of thought but work not on averages average incomes, average costs, but we're So build a budget that works over multiple years, a minimum of three, uh, and preferably somewhere around about 10, so you could have a budget that runs nine years in the past and one year into the future. A- and then you can get a good idea of what your risks are, um, what you can do, or what impact changing any of the settings has on the final outcome Uh, i had a a favorite trick i had a a three-year budget i used to keep my clients accounts on a three-year running budget and i used to if they wanted to or were thinking about a an investment i'd plug it into the final year and i said right now let's make it make the middle year a drought and the result was quite dramatic Quite often, um, it was okay. You could withstand that drought and still show a profit. But more often than not, just that one-year drought was enough to blow the future margins, more likely for the future margins. So just working on one year doesn't work. I mean, you don't want to run a one-year rotation. You run a six- or a seven-year rotation. Uh, and exactly the same should apply to your uh, financial cash book analysis.
0: Yeah, okay, perfect. So um, I guess the question that I want to put to everyone listening to this podcast is quite simply, have I got a business model on-farm and off-farm that is set up such that I can minimise losses in a below-average year? Is my farming system flexible and real-time adaptable enough such that in a below average rainfall year that we can cover our costs, hold our own, not corrode equity or take on debt and set up to recover from the dry season well and move back to profitability quickly? Um, If you have concern around your response to that question, then I think it's really good timing to look objectively at the enterprise mix that you have, the cost structures that you're carrying, um, the nature of the revenue that is coming in um, and how to make adjustments to that that allow you to be more um, successful in minimising losses rather than that focus on profit at all cost. Tim, a final comment from you before we wrap up?
1: Well, what I've been saying is uh, common practice. I don't know whether uh, Jono, my son that you, you heard the other day, uh, has said it, but all these principles are being... Uh, a run and used by all other businesses and farming is a business that uh you re- you can read about other businesses go and read about uh steve jobs and how he almost uh uh sent apple broke because he forgot about cash flow it's exactly the same uh for farming Yes, yeah. that ours is a more complex business than most uh because we've got it's a it's a living, it's a biological business. It's unpredictable on that basis. It's unpredictable on the weather basis. So we have to develop systems which can handle that extreme level of variability and pay the freight to our markets. Mm.
0: Yeah, no, great comment. Thank you. It's, um, it's interesting because so many of us in farming, we're focusing on making profits. Um, and I think what you're sharing with us and through your research that Perhaps our focus first should be on minimising losses um, but having the ability to make perhaps modest or optimum profits, not necessarily maximum profits in the good years, which is perhaps a more conservative approach to how we navigate the industry that we're in, given it's unique. Um than perhaps some of us are thinking about to this point. So thanks, Tim. Really appreciate your time. It's um, it's nice to, you and I talk about these things a lot over dinner and um, as we travel around the countryside together, but it's really nice um, to check in on some of this thinking that I know you consistently and constantly apply to the industry. Um, I know your PhD was designed so that you could I guess, create at least a bit of a legacy and give back to an industry that's been very good to you um, and extend perhaps your learnings that came from your Nuffield scholarship and your farm consulting over the years. So thank you for sharing that. And to all of our listeners, um, if you would like to learn more about some of the things that we've spoken about today, please reach out to the Farm Owners Academy with questions, um, we'd love to help you. And certainly as part of the journey that our clients are going on, a very robust critique of your financials, a really comprehensive critique of your current reality and your business models and your risk profiles, and then supporting you to generate really strong long-term cash flows um, and make major Um, changes to the way you set your business models so that you can be more profitable, take more control and move towards having more freedom is front and centre for the support we are extending to our clients. And so if that's of interest to you, please jump onto our website, um, pick up the phone, speak to us and let, let us help find you a program within our range of support programs for farmers that can help you make a start in this direction. Tim, thanks again.
1: Thank you very much. I hope that uh, I've, been, uh, I've made sense and if anybody, want, anybody wants to actually develop this uh, with me anymore, I'd be uh, uh, quite uh, willing to talk to you.
0: Yeah, great. Well, let's, let's look into that. Absolutely. Thanks for your time, Tim. To all of you out there, um, keep navigating this season. Um, stay strong in the lead up to this Christmas. Enjoy a wonderful and festive season with your families and look forward to connecting again early in the new year. Take care. Thank you and bye for now.